All right, uh, let me stop the share and uh, welcome to our evening Bible study. This is, of course, First uh, Corinthians. We are going to look at chapter nine. Uh, if you're wondering why I sound a little different, it's because I'm actually in the garage. Uh, I did actually get a new computer, <laughs> but it's about an hour and a half short of being ready for us to use this evening. So uh, I'm set up in here because I have two monitors and uh, using Zoom because actually Zoom can handle doing everything we want to do a little bit easier on this old ancient computer. So uh, you might hear thunderstorm outside because it's been downpouring and you might hear the sump pump kick in as well. So hopefully you can hear me all right. And uh, I've got some audio processing on, so I think it probably is working just fine. All right. And uh, I'll make it so you can see the screen. Feel free to uh, check in on the comments. Uh, you can see some of your on my watch party on Facebook. Uh, of course, it's being streamed on YouTube and on Facebook on our pages as well. So if you have a question or comment as we go through the text, um, just go ahead and put that in there and I'll try to answer that. So hopefully then by next week, this will uh, look all high tech again. All right. <laughs> all right. Let me get the text up. So I'm going to hide that and bring text. There's that. Okay, I'm doing better. And now uh, I'm actually going to turn on. No, we'll leave it the way it is. All right, share my screen so you can see the actual text. And there we go. All right. Um, I think after last week, there were some comments about it being a little bit small. And they liked it bigger, so let's see if we can make it. That's too small. Let's go quite a bit bigger. Bigger yet, bigger yet. As big as it'll go. I think that's as big as it's gonna go. Oh, there, it's very big. I wanna go one click down just so I can read it. All right, good. So we're in 1 Corinthians, not John chapter six. <laughs> and we left off right towards the end uh, verse 24, which you can see on your screen there. And uh, this analogy. Now, before we look at it, uh, just to remind you what's going on here is back in chapter 8, St. Paul had uh, given a kind of a basic principle of doing what is best for the weaker brother. And this was specifically in the context of eating uh, food that had been sacrificed to idols. And so you have to go back and watch the other uh, Bible classes to catch up if you need um, to understand what's going on there in Corinth with uh, the temple of, say, Demeter and the dining rooms and the meat sacrificed idols. We've talked about that quite a bit. So you can go check that out on your own. Um, and then Paul um, does, I think, something pretty complicated as far as his rhetoric. He gives, he's, he starts with like a basic idea or um, argument. And then he gives some examples, first from his own life, um, and then other kinds of illustration. And then he's going to use the scriptures today, the Old Testament scriptures, um, in chapter 10. And he's building up, actually, to when he's going to make a more significant argument. The same argument, but much more severe later on in chapter, um, chapter 11. Okay, So... Uh, we talked about this last week, that rhetorically this is, this is wise as a teacher. Um, you can't always just come right at someone. Sometimes you need to establish 
kind of the basic principle, then give some examples before you actually work to the, now here's really what you need to do statement. Okay, so that's what Paul's doing. All right, I need to move this in case anybody sends me something in the chat. I can make sure I can see it. All right, good. Uh, and don't mind me if I actually end up um, swatting a mosquito because <laughs> there's quite a few. All right, I'm outside. Now, um, yeah, let's look at the end of what we read last week to get us going again towards what we're going to look at today. So uh, beginning in verse 19 of chapter 9, he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Uh, so a very important note here is that Paul is giving this principle of Christian freedom, right? That the, we talked about Luther's maxim, that the, the Christian is um, free from all, servant to none, but at the same time, bound to all, servant to all, right? So we live this double life where we live in love for our neighbor, but we actually have been set free from doing it under compulsion or under obligation by the law. But now, as Paul said there in verse 21, yeah, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, all right? So this, this freedom um, is exercised in love for neighbor, right? So we're bound to exercise freedom for in love. <laughs> um, our freedom is not what license to do whatever we'd like, whatever our flesh tells us, but rather um, to do what is most beneficial both um, for our neighbor and then for faith, all right? And that's what he says in verse 23. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you, all right? So for the gospel's sake, all right? Um, we talked about the dangers last week of perhaps becoming uh, enamored with, well, I can just, you know, I can, I can follow some kind of immoral pursuit um, because I'm a Christian now and I've been saved and I've been forgiven and that gives me license to do that. Or maybe I can minister to them as a Christian, uh, meanwhile participating in things that are uh, contrary to God's word. And of course not, can't do that. Um, that that's not the double life that he's talking about. Uh, that would be, yeah, uh, <laughs> looking at the other epistles um, to, to heed the flesh rather than to listen to the spirit. So then he gives an example, and this is really kind of a brilliant example. You've probably heard it before. Um, talking about the the running you know what i am going to make this bigger for you all okay yeah there you go now you can see it especially those of you on on little phones all right so uh, i'm going to read it and then i'm going to give you a little bit of a some background about this that i have from a commentary that i think is really helpful do you not know that those who run in a race all run but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. 
and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it under subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. All right, so again, an illustration of talking about how Paul, in particular, lives this life of freedom, um, not in the way of um, liberty as in license, you can do whatever you want, but rather uh, he's free now to discipline his body, to bring it into subjection for the sake of the gospel again. Like he said there in verse 27, when I preach to others, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Rather than disqualify the message he preach, preaches um, by his living, by his life, um, he disciplines his life. And again, it's an analogy. It's a pretty, it's a pretty cool one. Um, and again, I have some uh, background maybe from a commentary that I think um, I'd never heard before, and I think maybe you'd benefit from. So here's what he, here's what the commentator says. This is a Gregory Lockwood. Paul proceeds to illustrate the need for self-discipline if he is to reach the goal of saving as many people as possible. As a resident in Cor of Corinth in AD 50 to 52, we talked about that's when the, we think the book was written, or the letter, I should say, he had probably witnessed the Isthmian games, that's I-S-T-H-M-I-A-N games, in the spring of AD 51. The prestigious event, second only to the Olympic Games, was celebrated every two years, about 10 miles from Corinth. The basic athletic events included racing, wrestling, jumping, boxing, hurling the javelin, and throwing the discus. Sounds familiar, right? Paul begins with an illustration from the foot races in the stadium. A number of runners competed in each event, but only one could win the prize. Of course, no consolation trophies. <laughs> Everyone's not a winner. Uh, yeah. The analogy to the Christian life is, of course, imperfect, for in the Christian race, all believers are prize winners. <laughs> but Paul uses the analogy only to point to the exertion and self-discipline required of a successful runners. He challenges the Corinthians, run that you may win. Yeah, welcome to Grace. I see you checked in. All right. Now, here we go um, with regards to the Olympic Games. So remember, the Issean Games, those are about 10 miles from Corinth, and they were held in AD 51. So likely he saw them or knew of them. Every entrant in the Olympic Games was required to devote 10 months to strict training. Presumably, the same rule applied to the games in Isthmia. As is well known from such contests, both in ancient and modern times, the competitor must renounce not only bad habits, but give up many things that are fine in themselves in order to focus totally on preparation for the goal. The theme of self-control applies equally to the Christian life. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit, it should be found in the lives of all Christians. See Galatians 5 and 2 Peter 1. It is one of the qualities essential in a minister of the gospel, as he says in Titus 1. Whereas contestants in the Isthmian games exercise self-control in order to win a wreath of withered celery and some ephemeral honor and glory, it is infinitely more worthwhile for the Christian to practice self-control for the crown 
awaiting him if he competes the race is imperishable, the imperishable gift of eternal life. All right. Now, uh, Paul is applying this to um, his own ministry to them. You know, he's running this marathon, right? But the marathon requires one to be disciplined, not only in their body, but in all things, he says in verse 25. And uh, the crown that we receive is, of course, the crown of eternal life, not some uh, little wreath around your head. Um, then he also, but he, <laughs> as he does, Jesus does this too. Uh, you're like, oh, that's a great analogy. Keep going with that, Paul. No, that's one sermon illustration. Here's a new one. Uh, similarly, he talks about boxing <laughs> and as beating as one uh, who beats in the air. Uh, this is also referred to as fighting the good fight of faith, right? Yeah, in First Timothy. Uh, so flailing in the air, never landing a bow. So we don't know for certain whether Paul has in mind, according to Dr. Lockwood, a poor boxer who continually misses his opponent or the man who prefers shadow boxing at home or in the gymnasium and never steps into the ring. Paul could see no purpose in activities that did not serve the gospel and the edification of the church. Right? So what would be the point if it didn't benefit the gospel and the preaching of the gospel? Right? So he does it um, not just for his own sake, but for the sake of others. That's a great illustration to kind of finish out um, chapter 9. Um, but an even more compelling case is going to be made here in chapter 10, of course, from the scriptures. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think how far we should go. Yeah, we should just read 1 through 5. So chapter 10, 1 through 5. Before we do that, I see uh, Tim has checked in. I'm here. Had to work a little later. You're welcome, Tim, for the class. And uh, you missed the announcement at the beginning. I'm, I'm recording this in the garage with a, a kind of convoluted setup, but it seems to be working just fine. So glad to have you. All right. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in, in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But, usually buts um, lead into gospel, not in this case. <laughs> but with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. All right. So, in, in verses 1 through 4, we actually have Paul say five times all. All, all, all. And notice how he began at the beginning. He says brethren. He calls them brothers, right? So um, he's, he is conscientious of the fact that what he's about to say is going to come off being pretty harsh. It's strong language. Yes, these are coffee beans in the background. <laughs> Otherwise, you just see the refrigerators behind me. Um, and welcome, Eileen. I'm sure Gus is with you, too. Thanks for joining us. Um, anyway, he says all five times after calling them brothers to emphasize, I would say, God's grace and his mercy for his people, right? So all were under the cloud. We'll talk about that in a moment. All were passed through the sea. I think you know what that's referring to. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. We'll talk about that. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. And that spiritual rock that followed them was Christ. And that's what they drank, who they drank from. Okay, so um, God had been um, quite generous with them and loved them 
uh, in caring for them, all right? Uh, and then Paul's gonna talk about what their reaction was to it, all right? Uh, not God's fault, their fault. I'm gonna move my phone over here. Um, there's a lot of mm, disagreement about some of these expressions from Paul. We know this is all referring um, to Exodus events. This is the language of the Exodus, not just because Moses is mentioned, um, but some of these references are quite clear to us. So, um, again, I'm going to rely upon uh, Dr. Lockwood here for this one. Um, now that he's left behind the uh, athletic games, we need to talk about the, um, these alls. All right? Now, uh, remember, we're in Corinth, and these are, these are not Jewish converts. These are um, Gentile converts. All right? Um, so these Old Testament stories, I, I'm not confident that they would already know them or know them well, um, but the Jewish hearers would and would certainly fill in the gaps for, for those Gentiles that had converted, um, referring to the fathers who were under the cloud. Now, of course, um, even Christians claim, rightly, claim Abraham as father, not by blood, but by, by faith, right? Yeah, that we share... Um, the same faith in the promise. By faith, Abraham was accounted as righteous, according to Hebrews. Okay? And it's the faith in the promise. Um, so all the fathers, those of course referring to all of Israel, and of course now we're grafted into Israel as Gentiles, all were under the cloud, right? Now the cloud, I think you know what that reference is to. This is referring to the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, right? And you can see. Um, Exodus, see that in Exodus 13, 21, right? The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Also Psalm 103, where the psalmist says, he spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light in the night. All right, so I think pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. Um, and that was, of course, to protect them. Remember, as he led them out um, from Egypt, and kept them from Pharaoh, that the cloud went back behind them and came between them and Pharaoh and his army um, so that Pharaoh couldn't come to, come up to them until they had made it all the way through the Red Sea. So again, it's a protective cloud. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, especially as they pass through the sea, right? Which even Paul goes there, right? In the next expression, that's of course going through the Red Sea. Um, but I think we could also talk about being um, brought through the waters in regards to Noah, right? So we could think back to that too in Genesis 6. Um, and that's what St. Peter does in re reference to baptism in 1 Peter. Is, um, he says that, uh, yeah, Noah and his family were saved through water, right? And of course, uh, going through the Red Sea and then also being saved by water or through water in the case of Noah, these are all types of baptism, right? And, and Paul makes that connection, right? So he's catechizing them in things that they are actually, maybe they remember what he taught them about the pillar of cloud or what he taught them about the sea, you know, the Red Sea journey and how that uh, prefigures baptism. What digital Bible uh, do you use? I'm using, this is New King James. Oh, the software I'm using is called Logos. It's, uh, I've, I invested in it when I was at seminary. Uh, I don't know how many thousands of dollars uh, for all the libraries, uh, reference books, etc. But uh, it's been well worth the investment. Used it my entire ministry, version to version to version. All right. Um, 
let's see, what were we talking about? We were talking about the water and baptism, right? Connection to baptism. So you see that there. Um, but the expression in verse 2 about being baptized into Moses um, is interesting, right? What does it mean they were baptized into Moses? I think it's probably something like the um, baptism of of uh, John, right? Being baptized by John here, baptized by Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Um, now, in verse 3, all ate the same spiritual food. And spiritual food, of course, is referring to the manna in the wilderness, right? Yeah, you know that. Um, which the psalmist actually refers to as grain from heaven and bread of angels. I don't think that's how it's usually translated. Um, that's how it's translated in the Septuagint. So Psalm 78, verse 24, pull that up. Oh, yeah, here it is. Oh, it does says angel food. He rained down manna on them to eat and given them of the bread of heaven, right? Prefiguring Christ, who is our bread. Men ate angel's food, and he sent them food to the full. All right. He also talks about raining meat upon them in verse 27. All right, very good. Oh, no, that window's in the wrong spot. Move it. There we go. Let's see, where were we? And then drank of the same spiritual drink. Now, the spiritual drink, we're thinking here of, um, you know, in the Exodus story, Exodus 17, where he took the rod and struck the river so that they could pass through. That's at the beginning of the Exodus. Um, Numbers 20, when he struck the, Moses struck the rock twice and water came out abundantly, the congregation and their animals drank. Uh, also, it's quoted in uh, Psalm 78. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance like the depths. Strikes me now that I think about it that this beginning of chapter 10 uh, is really paralleling Psalm 78. So maybe that was a psalm that was um, expected to be prayed at this time or that they would have memorized. All right. Um, and then did we cover all four? Yes. And then they drank of the spiritual rock, uh, who was, of course, Christ, right? Uh, it's, of course, Jesus who is giving all these things to them, saving them, right? But then we get to this really heavy-duty statement in verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness, right? Um, that's recorded in Numbers 14, for example. Uh, when the car when uh, uh, Moses speaks and says, The carcasses of you who have complained against me, that is the Lord, shall fall in this wilderness, all of you who are numbered according to the entire number, from 20 years old and above. Um, now, you understand that reference, maybe. <laughs> um, what does he mean, 20 years old and above? Well, it is in, yeah, in Numbers, I think it's in Numbers chapter 1 that they do a census, if I remember correct. Is that Numbers 1? Maybe. Um, and then they, they number all of those men who are 20 years or older that are fighters, basically. And it's 603,000 and something. Um, and how many of them make it into the promised land of the 603,000 fighting men plus women and children? Actually, just two. Right? Just, just 
two make it in, Joshua and Caleb, right? And they all, the rest of them die in the wilderness and are scattered over the wilderness. Yeah, because of their unbelief. Um, yeah, the writer to the Hebrews quotes it as well in Hebrews 3. Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Um, Jude 5 also, uh, Numbers 26, you know, speaking to Caleb, the same story. Now, what is Paul getting after here then with verses 1 through 5? Because there's all this all, all, all. God is gracious. God is kind. God has provided. God protected. God fed them. God gave them drink. Um, Christ himself was with them. And then five. But how did the people respond? Yeah, that's really the, the point, isn't it? The people responded um, in unbelief. They rejected the gifts of the Lord. I like the way that uh, it's summarized here. Paul's purpose in drawing this parallel is this. Just as many Israelites were disqualified because of their unfaithfulness and false worship, Christians, too, face the danger of being disqualified from salvation if they engage in false worship and fail to remain in repentance and faith worked by the Holy Spirit. All right. So um, what I think what Paul's getting at, because he's going to talk about the Lord's Supper here very, very soon in this chapter, uh, and he's setting them up to recognize that um, there's a way that the Christian can re receive the gift of baptism in the Lord's Supper not to their benefit, but actually to their hurt and harm, right? And it has to do with faith. Just as the people in the wilderness um, could have received um, God's pro uh, protection, his, his presence in the cloud, his deliverance through the Red Sea, the food and the drink, right? All of that to their benefit, um, they instead did what? They complained. They whined. Um, they distrusted. They built a, a golden calf, for example, right? They rejected these gifts. And as such, then, um, they made God their enemy. I think that's probably the best way to express it. Um, you know, those who hold on to their sin make God their enemy. And God does not want to be your enemy, as Paul has made very clear here, right? And yet, um, we do have the will or the capacity to reject him and his gifts. So uh, remember, this is all in this broader context in 1 Corinthians of talking about meat sacrificed to idols and doing what is best um, for your neighbor, right? And, I, and I'm arguing that he's working up towards actually saying it's not good to eat meat sacrificed to idols, okay? Um, initially, his initial argument is um, don't do it because it offends your neighbor, okay? Now, these things, right, these examples of our fathers have become our examples. So I'm going to read some of these. So this all, now 6 through 14 or so is going to parallel what we just read, all right? So God's providence, but in the midst of God providing for them, protecting them, loving them, um, how did they respond? He's going to tell us. So I'll read it. Now, these things became our examples to the, in, the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written. 
the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, mm -hmm. and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages has come, have come. All right. Um, now, they happened to them because they deserved them, because they rejected the Lord and they rejected his gifts. That's why that happened to them. Um, but Paul is saying that these things are recorded for us because there's nothing that isn't common to all men, right? These examples are the same examples um, that we face. They're the same temptations that we face. Right? And that's um, what the scriptures are given for. That's one of the things the scriptures are given for. Uh, it's not the only thing. Of course, it's to give us faith in Christ. Um, but they do show us uh, where we go astray, right? And they, they warn us um, of the dangers. Uh, I was thinking, actually, I heard an interview uh, with a Jewish man today uh, who was talking about the example of the kings and that um, he and his uh, fellow Jewish scholars um, suggest that the kingdom of Israel, so think like King Saul, um, especially King David, is actually a prototype of a republic, uh, like an American republic. I thought, wow, that's interesting because they have a king. How is that a democracy, a republican democracy? But it was interesting because he said that the king had very restrained um, authority, right? Now, of course, the, the foreign kings had, had extensive authority, like, like Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. I mean, he commanded even worship, right, of him, of his person. But not so with the kings of Israel, at least not according to God's instruction. Um, one of the things that the kings were required to do in order to be a just and faithful king is that they were required to copy their own Torah, their own scriptures so that they would have their own Bible, if you like. Um, but in so copying, you know, you learn it, right? You're forced to read it if you're going to copy it faithfully. And I thought that was incredible to think of um, having those kings faithfully having copied the scriptures um, so that um, they take it to heart, literally. Hi, Rick. Glad to have you. See you checking in down there. All right, so um, let's talk about some of these. And they're not all entirely clear, but I think they're mostly there. So we shouldn't lust after evil things, as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters, as some of them have become. All right. Um, the, the lusting after evil things is to lust after the things that were back in Egypt. So we'll hear this in the lectionary this summer. I think this is the best case. Um, you know, remember when they talk about the meat pots and, and uh, think actually even earlier on, um, it's recorded that uh, they wanted fresh vegetables, right? And that's in response to the manna, right? But what does God do to them because of their craving? He actually uh, strikes many of them down with a plague, even though he sends them quails. Um, there's actually, they name the place, Kibroth Hatava, which means gra the graves of craving. <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes I feel like this is what I would like to do to the kids who keep complaining about where it's lunch or when's dinner, you know? 
Yeah. There they buried the people who were they're craving. Now, is food evil? Remember, Paul's talking about food sacrificed to idols. Is it wrong to crave food? No. Well, food is a gift from God, first article gift from God, right? But they're craving they're craving the food that they had in the idolatrous land of Egypt when they were in under oppression. Right? And they're not craving the food that God is giving them now, but rather uh, in a tenth, you know, commandment kind of way, they're coveting food that is not theirs to have. So, yeah, so it's definitely first commandment problem because they're breaking the tenth commandment. Wanting something that's not yours is to make it an idol, right? And that makes, makes it so you have other gods. Uh, coveting, uh, Paul considers one of the more, I don't know, for lack of a better word, gross forms of idolatry. Now, in the second one, what does he say? Um, verse 7. Oh, yeah, and don't become idolaters, as were some of them. I think that's referring to, right away, this is almost in, in order, chronologically, um, to the golden calf incident, incident, which you know quite well, which, again, is a, a breaking of the first commandment. Of course, idolatry, making um, an image to be worshipped, to take the place of God. And rather than wiping out um, all the people, God does show some mercy. He relents when Moses intercedes for them. Um, but remember in Exodus, it's recorded that 3,000 men of the people fell that day and died. And now, again, this is all a warning to the church in Corinth. We have to be clear here, but also to us, of course, right? Um, and remember, it's food sacrifice to idols, right? So he's warning us against that kind of idolatry. All right. Uh, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What's that quoting? We've talked about this before. Yeah, that's right away in Exodus 33 um, with the golden calf. All right. Um, then this one may be a little bit more obtuse or not as familiar. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. All right. Now this is with, um, this is at Shittim in the plains of Moab. So this is right outside the promised land, right? So they're ready to go in um, and they actually attend the fertility rites. This is all in Numbers 25, by the way. Um, they attend the fertility rites of those Moabite gods, Baal of Peor. Um, and as part of the fertility rites, of course, then there's um, what we would just we call it ritual prostitution, right? So then Israelite men are um, having intercourse with Moabite women. And of course, this is forbidden because um, they're going to bring this false belief into, into the house of Israel. Uh, so the Lord was kindled and he gave instructions to the leaders to kill the people and expose them, sent a plague, and it left more than 24,000 corpses in the wilderness. Again, it's right at the gates of the promised land. And it, um, it's not one that's that familiar to us, but it's actually referred to pretty, pretty frequently. Um, for example, Psalm, sorry, there's a mosquito that just bit me. That's brilliant. Um, Psalm 106. They joined themselves also to Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices made to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds and the plague broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and intervened. The plague was stopped. 
and that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. Oh, then they anger him again here. All right. Well, we got a comment. If we had to eat manna, it would be easy to covet other food. <laughs> Never thought of as an idol, though. Yeah. Uh, remember the explanation to the first, uh, the first commandment, right? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, right? All things. Fear, love, trust, right? And, uh, yeah, when your love is misplaced, when your desire is misplaced, that's a form of idolatry, too. Um, also, we could look at Hosea. Yeah, it still looks okay. <laughs> One of my lights turned off. Hosea, yeah, chapter 9. There it is. <clears throat> I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits of the fig tree in its first season. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame that became an abomination like the thing they loved. As for Ephraim, the glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. All right. So let's get back to our text. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 is about where we were. Yeah, there we are. All right, so that's that's the example there of that story. Um, and I think, is it also? Yeah, no, that's good. Um, and in one day, 23,000 fell. Now, there's some argument about this because the psalmist records, and Numbers 25 records 24,000. Um, Paul is a little bit sketchy with his numbers. He's actually a lot like Luther when he just says, well, you know, the prophet says, and it's like, well, which prophet? Or other times Luther will say, well, it's recorded in Deuteronomy, but it's actually in Genesis. You know, he tries to just guess at the citation and they just leave it. Um, and then when you look at like Luther's works, they'll be in brackets, the actual reference, <laughs> not the one he said. Um, and I think Paul's doing the same here. He does the same thing in Galatians when it comes to the numbering of the days between the promise given to Abraham and the giving of the law at Sinai. Um, he says it's, I think, 400 years. No, he says, I don't know, it's 430 years and there's some other 400 some years. All right. Uh, nor, verse 9, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted. Now, what in particular are we talking about there? Testing Christ. Well, I think, you know, we know the reference to the story. We know what story is talking about here because they were destroyed by the serpents. Remember the serpent upon the pole, right? So when did they tempt Christ? This was in the, or test Christ. This was in the context of their grump, grumpily, <laughs> grumpily, um, grumbling and quarreling, right? about the food, the manna and the quail. And then the Lord sent the fiery serpents among them. In num we hear that recorded in Numbers uh, 21, right? And then they, they pleaded to Moses to intercede for them. And uh, the Lord had Moses set up that bronze serpent. All right. Yeah, so uh, how did it say? Uh, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this accursed food. <laughs> Numbers 21. Yeah, so notice that's also dis, um, despising the spiritual food and the spiritual drink that the Lord gives. That was back at the beginning of the chapter. So that's good, too. Uh, and to sin against what God has provided in Christ is then to sin against Christ himself. Right? 
Because remember, everything that comes to the people by Moses is coming by the word that Moses speaks, which is the word of God. And who is the word of God? But Jesus. All right, so don't grumble. Um, and that's what he says in verse 10 too. Or complain as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now this one's a little bit uh, more peculiar and the commentators are not quite so confident as to know what this is referring to. Is it referring to the same you know, text from Numbers um, or from Exodus, I should say, you know, where they complain in the wilderness about the food? What destroyer is the one that destroyed them? Well, I mean, they were destroyed by plague, but the destroyer is not named, right? There's no particular destroyer. Um, that term is the same term that Moses uses in Exodus 12 for the, um, for the angel of death, as we sometimes call him, right? Um, so this destroying angel, which is talked about also in 2 Samuel, um, the angel set, sent uh, upon Jerusalem in 1 Chronicles 21, uh, and referred to again as such in Hebrews 11. So, yeah, um, it's a little bit enigmatic as to what that's referring to, uh, whether it's the angel of destruction, as Wisdom 18 calls the, uh, the angel that brought the plague of death. Um, some people have suggested this is the swallowing up of Korah and his company in number 16. It's not entirely clear what it is, but notice he gives five examples, going back to the beginning of the chapel, chapter, five examples of how God is gracious and provides for his people, all, 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 and all. And then, again, as examples, he shows five times how the people rejected what the Lord gave. All right. And then he says, again, now all these things happen to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition right, instruction, uh, upon whom the end of the ages has come. Now, again, we talked about this, oh, I don't know, maybe three or four lessons ago, that it, it does appear that um, one of the reasons why Paul, like, instructs the church in Corinth um, to just not marry right now is that maybe things are just in too much turmoil and it's not worth bringing more chaos into the mix. Um, or maybe he actually has that, again, that apostolic sense that the Lord is coming soon, right? Which we, we've lost, unfortunately, but I think um, we do, do well uh, to pray for, even come quickly, Lord Jesus. Oh, it was thunderstorming when we started, and now it's sunshine. Go figure. All right. Um, so what is, you know, what is Paul really trying to get at with all of this, as far as the example? This is, Again, to receive the gifts of the Lord in faith, not for the purpose of the flesh, nor to reject them. I mean, there's a couple of ways um, that people misuse the word in the sacraments. Um, I would say the first is they think of them as kind of a, like a magic um, formula or a magic incantation or substance, and that you benefit from them just by doing them. This happens for me as a pastor often with baptism. People will say, we need to get the kid baptized. And that's absolutely true. Baptism is a gift, right? But we need to get them baptized. The, implies a question, why? Is it so that they receive the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit? As St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3. Um, 
or is it because you think that somehow this is going to be this magic thing that's just going to give them a ticket to heaven? Um, and unfortunately, I've encountered that. Because, and it, it's fairly obvious. Um, this will be folks that have their child baptized and then never bring the child to church. I'm like, wait a minute, what did you baptize them into? If it's into Jesus, then you take the child where Jesus is, right? Okay. Um, and the same thing happens with the sacrament. People think if I just receive the Lord's Supper, it'll make me feel better or it'll solve all my problems. Um, and that's not what it's given for, okay? Um, on the flip side, so we have those folks that kind of think it's like a, a, a magic token or um, it, it's just magical apart from faith. There are those um, who say that the sacraments, in particular baptism, Lord's Supper, um, are just signs or symbols, right? They're just something nice that we do together. And um, for them, then anybody can receive the Lord's Supper, whether they believe or not. And Paul's going to respond to that um, later on in the next chapter in particular. Um, no, that's um, to receive the sacrament outside of faith is to receive it to your hurt and your harm. Right? Don't do it. If you don't know what the sacrament is, or if your neighbor doesn't know, it doesn't, doesn't confess it, doesn't believe it, they ought not to commune, lest they bring judgment upon themselves. Um, and the same thing with baptism. People think, well, you know, whatever, I don't need to have my kid baptized because it's just a sign or a symbol of faith. And, you know, my little baby, every little child, well, what do they believe? You know, what, what are they, what benefit is baptism going to be for them? <laughs> works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this, right? As you confess. So there's, there's kind of two opposite ditches and dangers there. One to just think these things are magic, and on the other hand, to think that they're really just symbols or nothing. And it's, neither is, is, is accurate, right? They are symbols, and they do what they say, right? But it's not magic. It's all grounded faith in these words. Like, for example, with the sacrament, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. That's how you're worthy and well-prepared to receive it, which we'll talk about in this book. All right, so um, Paul's, again, setting them up to, to say, look, the people of Israel in the wilderness received gifts of God, but didn't receive them in faith, all right, um, and actually complained and um, lived lives not in keeping with what the gifts they had received. Um, rejected even Moses as he was on the, only on the mountain for like 40 days and they had time to build a golden calf. I mean, it's crazy, right? Lusting after their former life rather than moving on and the life of faith, all right? These are all for our examples so that we um, heed them and see that actions have consequences, right? And, uh, you know, if you want to push the envelope to see how far faith will hold up against immorality, um, you know, uh, immoral sexual behavior and all kinds of idolatry, a love of, of money or wealth or pursuit of happiness or whatever it is for you that is that you fear, love, and trust in more than God. Um, just like playing with fire, right? And uh, Paul's pulling them back. Say, you know, you've lost your first love in a sense. Well, that's what he's going to say here. Now, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Uh, now this, this text, uh, you probably know quite well. I've heard it 
oh, a lot in my time. Um, I don't think I've ever heard it in the context of what came right before it, where Paul gave those ways that the Lord was gracious and kind to his people, and then the ways that they rejected it. Okay? Um, so that's the, that's the context for verse 12, especially. Let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Like the people in Israel, or the people of Israel in, in the wilderness, right? 23,000 fell in one day. Don't be complacent. Don't be arrogant, right? Um, it's a helpful warning. And though, and, and then also the same truth, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, right? So everything that you experience, it's happened before, right? Uh, the sin of Adam is visited upon his children. <laughs> we, it's one of the uh, things about pastoral ministry that maybe you didn't know. Um, but people sometimes are afraid to confess their sins to me. And the reason is, or so I've heard, that um, they don't expect that it's something that I'm prepared to hear. Right? They think, this is just going to be too much for pastor. I just can't imagine how he's going to respond to this. Um, well, actually, um, I've pretty much heard everything in one way, or one manner or another. I've heard every kind of confession. Um, all the kinds of confession that Paul talked about here, kind of um, idolatry and sexual immorality. You know, there's nothing really surprising to me at this point, 10 years into my ministry. Um, you're not going to shock me. And uh, it's actually, it's not that I'm callous to it uh, or desensitized, maybe a little bit. Um, but in every one of those cases, my job was to declare the forgiveness of sins. And in very few cases, um, did they reject that forgiveness, right? Almost always, they wanted to hear the word of forgiveness, right? So it was forgiven. It was put in the very bottom of the seat. And, so I've, and I've seen the fruit of that too. So I know, yeah, if you confess to me something that's just, you think is going to be, be the thing that I've never heard before, and it's going to shock me to the point where I won't be able to be your pastor anymore, um, well, no, it's not going to happen. And two, my job there um, is to forgive you regardless, right? And it, it, that's actually wonderfully freeing for me. <laughs> Do your job, Pastor. Um, yes, I hear your confession. Um, I, hear, I hear your repentance. You are forgiven freely for Christ's sake. Right? And that's what Paul does here too. He says, look, everything you're struggling with, you think it's just you or it's a new thing or no one's ever experienced this before, wrong. <laughs> All right? You're just like everyone else. That doesn't mean you're not particularly unique or your life isn't unique or particular but your sin is not. Um, but here's, here's what's really true. God is faithful, right? That was the point back at the beginning of chapter one of first Corinthians, when he said, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right. And that was the beginning of chapter 10 too. Look at all the ways that God was faithful to his people who will not, this verse maybe has been quoted incorrectly. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Um, what's the, oh, what's the paraphrase of this that I've heard? Um, you know, God won't, allow, won't, tempt, won't give you anything you can't handle. That's not what Paul's saying, okay? <laughs> He's not going to tempt you without a way of escape. You just got to read the next clause. But with the temptation, he will make a, the way of escape. And what is always the way of escape from temptation, from sin? 
Christ Jesus, his forgiveness of sins. The only way you can bear your flesh, the sins of your flesh, who you are according to your body, the only way that you can bear that is if you live in the forgiveness of sins that is in Jesus Christ, the way of escape. So what, what Paul is talking about here then, and, and the problem with the church of Corinth is they, and actually really what the problem was with the people in the wilderness is they thought they were masters of their own destiny. Um, and probably the worst temptation is to think that you can manage your own sin apart from the external word of God proclaimed into your ears. Those words, I forgive you all your sins in the name of Jesus, right? You can't take care of your own sin. Um, I've had this happen in my ministry too. Um, and it's disconcerting and I've had to try to correct it, although it wasn't heated. I've had people say, pastor, I can't come back to church yet because I have, I have too many other, I have other things I need to take care of first. You know, I need to get my life in order first. Of course, I looked around and said, wait a minute, you're going to put your life in order and you're going to do it apart from the word of God and apart from the fellowship uh, of the saints here. You got it completely backwards. Let this be the center of your life, right? Not just your life with your family, but your life, um, your life with Christ. Let that be the center of each and every day, right? And then watch the way that the spirit works, um, works out love for your neighbor, love for your family, you know, getting your life in order, um, providing a way of escape from temptation. Okay. So. Um, let's see, there's a question. Yeah, on my wall, does Aunt Carol, that's my aunt, uh, my mom's sister, need prayer? Yes, she does still need prayer. Um, I don't know. We've talked about it in the morning devotions. And I don't know if she's tuned in or not, but uh, um, she uh, was having difficulty walking. Our, she already had a cane last fall or winter. Um, and then uh, it was getting progressively worse very fast at the beginning of the year. Um, having challenges getting anyone to diagnose what it was. Nobody knew. They were doing all sorts of batteries of tests. And then COVID happened, right? And she couldn't really receive any care. It was able to get her into a nursing home um, when she couldn't take care of herself anymore. But then um, um, it wasn't until uh, Indiana opened up that the, uh, she could see a specialist and get diagnosed with ALS and get the appropriate treatment um, as best we can provide now. So uh, keep her in her prayers because. There's like a lot of people who didn't receive appropriate medical care because of COVID during that whole shutdown, um, thinking that COVID was going to be a much bigger deal than it was at the time. Um, you know, the consequences of that, uh, you know, we'll have to bear now. All right, let's, I'm just going to introduce this and then this is actually what we'll tackle next week. So, because we, we, we want this context. He's been talking about idolatry. He's been talking about temptation. And then he says, therefore, my, my beloved, flee from idolatry. All right? That's what he's been talking about. Um, and this is also what he talked about back in, in chapter 6. Right? Be separate from that which is unclean. I speak as to wise men. Now, that goes back to chapter 8. Uh, when they said, they said, we're wise, and then there's the weak. And there's, but since we're, we're, we're the smarty pants, you know, we know what's right, and we can just tell the weak what to do. And Paul says, don't do that. So he's, again, I speak as to wise men, to you wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. And then here's the big example from chapter 10, um, and it's the referring to the Lord's Supper. The cup of blessing which we bless, 
is it not the communion, the fellowship, the koinonia, of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion, koinonia, of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. All right? So this, it's not just he jumps to the Lord's Supper, but remember, we just heard it back earlier in the chapter when he talked about um, the bread and the drink in the wilderness, and then the way that the people received it unfaithfully, and then what the consequence of that was. So now when he talks about receiving the Lord's Supper, it's going to have the same, that's uh, the parallel, right? Those were types and shadows of what was to come in the receiving of Christ's body and blood in the supper and receiving it in faith or outside of faith. So that's a pretty big subject. So we should probably leave that until next time. All right. So we did get into chapter 10 quite a ways. And uh, it was good to have you. And I'm glad using Zoom actually worked out better, even though I don't, I don't have anybody else chatting with me in Zoom. <laughs> I put the link below, but uh, you're just watching on Facebook or YouTube. That's fine. Uh, for whatever reason, the computer actually can handle this, um, sending my video at low resolution and uh, putting the screen share up. So um, next week we'll have a, a fancy computer. I drove to Milwaukee today and uh, some a small business, their misfortune uh, was my fortune, I suppose. Uh, it was a design firm. They do like corporate design, um, you know, branding, that sort of thing. And uh, they basically had to lay off everybody and the business isn't coming back. Um, no, no businesses are doing any kind of branding work right now. Uh, or very few, and so they needed to liquidate their computers. Found it on uh, Facebook, so I was able to pick up actually two: one for uh, church and one for home, um, that were less than half of what it would cost me to get something equivalent new. So, their misfortune. Uh, it'll be your benefit, and you, God willing, will experience um, a better sound and video tomorrow morning for our stream. It'll be like back to normal. So, Lord be with you all tonight. Thanks for joining us on our Bible study here. And uh, if you have additional questions or comments that come up as you're thinking about those examples or anything that I said, or you're, maybe you're watching this now after the fact, uh, don't, don't hesitate. Put a comment below on Facebook or YouTube, and uh, I'll, I'll do my best to respond. Uh, either type in or maybe as a follow-up in next week's class. All right, so glad to have you all, and have a good night.